title of this message this morning is, is something we should hate. And I, I know that kind of sounds funny. We live in a world of hate, and it's all around us, and we sense it more and more, and these, it seems like in the past year or so to me. But it, it might sound funny from you that uh, a leader of the church, a pastor standing in his pulpit speaking on, on the Lord's Day and encouraging God's people to hate. The Bible preaches love. Love God. Love each other. Love your neighbor. Love yourself as God sees you. Yet also, we find as we peruse these pages that there are some verses that we run across where God Almighty gives us numerous warnings and issues in life, something we should hate. Hate, to loathe, to detest, to dislike, wish to shun, have animosity toward, something despicable, despicable me, you remember that, grew, but uh, he's, not, he's not the least of worries. Despicable, obnoxious, offensive, odious, repugnant, and repulsive. What is more repulsive than that? That stinking wolf spider. If you're an a, a arachnid lover, I apologize to you this morning, but Paige, if you'd have had one of those at home, I'd have told you to leave it at home and go home and step on it, actually. But, but when I think about repulsive, it, 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 would, it would be that. It'd be, it'd be a, and I know there's a lot worse things in life, but that's Kind of what stuck with me. What should we hate? 24-7, sin. Breaking God's code for our lives. That's what sin is to you. It is to me. It's breaking God's code for my life because he has a code that he set down in these pages for me to follow. And when I break that, deliberately, that is sin. In pastoring and parenting and my own personal pursuit of godliness, I have found that hating sin is an easily overlooked but never overstated priority. Because you see, we don't think about it sometimes, and it might go on for a while, but sin always brings consequences. There is never a sin committed on the face of this earth that it does not bring consequences. And often these consequences are painful. They stick to us. Man, I've made some huge mistakes. God forgive me, and he forgets that sin, but, but he doesn't erase those consequences that a lot of us will live with the rest of our lives. Many of us are scarred. People don't know them scars, but you know them. They're written on your heart. They're on our psyche. It's who we are, the mistakes that we've made, and these ripples that we have caused to go out that we have moved on, but yet those consequences are still there. It's a real temptation for us to hate the consequences and never get around to hating the sin. But don't get me wrong, we should hate how sin hurts ourselves and others because sin always in these consequences and in this ripple effect, it goes out and we hurt others as well. But we can't leave it there until sin is actually hated for its odious and repulsive character. We will not make true progress in godliness. We may make progress in morality, but not holiness for this requires a godly hatred of sin. If we don't hate sin as God hates it, we will continue to struggle and sometimes be held captive by that sin when we should be living free. There's freedom in Christ. If the Son, if, if the son is free, you should be free indeed, but a lot of times we're still held captive in that prison. You might resonate with this clip called The Cell. It kind of brings it home in pictorial form.
our enemy. Satan, that's, that's where he, he wants to keep folks. Of course, you don't know the stats on this, but in the course of a 24-hour period on this earth, the Holy Spirit comes and he opens the door to people's hearts and we have a choice. People have a choice to allow him to come in or not. And a lot of times they kick the door shut and leave him standing there. That's the sad part about this. There is a prison that we build brick by brick through our sin. And this clip depicts the effects of sin in our hearts. But Jesus comes to our heart's door and this morning as we speak, as the word of God speaks to you, hopefully as, as the Holy Spirit comes and, and does some knocking that you are obedient and you're honest and you allow him to deal with you in whatever manner he wishes to this morning. Why should we hate sin with a passion? Here's three reasons, three motivations why we should hate sin. In thinking upon these, I hope they provoke a holy hatred of all that opposes the reign of God in our lives. We should hate sin, number one, because it opposes God's word. The word of God is good. It reflects God's character. It teaches us what holiness is and what holiness isn't. Romans 7, 12, through 13, 12 and 13. But still the law itself is holy and right and good. But how can that be? Question mark. Did the law, which is good, cause my doom? Paul questions. Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation. So we can't see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commandment for its own evil purposes. Sin, therefore, is transgressing, transgression of God's law, 1 John 3, 4. Those who sin are opposed to the law of God, for all sin opposes the law of God. Sin is the staged opposition to goodness. It is our protest in the streets of God's rule over us. We see a lot of protesting these days. People have issues and they want to protest that when we sin, this is our protest, that we stand with our protest sign and we are protesting God's rule in our lives. That's what, that's what sin does and that, that's what sin is. Furthermore, it is not a peaceful protest. You know, that's another problem. Peaceful protests are okay, but sometimes they go awry. Sometimes there are instigators that come in and start breaking glass, and before long it goes south pretty quick. This is what sin is. It's not a peaceful protest. It is the raised hand to God's regality that he's setting on the throne. It is, is looking into the eyes of God and said, God, you are not my boss. I'm going to do what I want when I want, regardless of the consequences. We, as followers of Christ, we make that statement sometimes. We do these things. And this rule of God is a good rule. He defines what good is in Psalm 119.68. The psalmist says, You are good and you do only good. Teach me your principles. Anything that opposes God is evil and wicked. See, we, we need to think like this. Sin is not simply our condition, personal proclivities, or the result of our environment. It is all of these, but it's far worse. Sin is evil because it opposes a good God. It disregards his word and raises a backhand to him upon his throne. So sin is a slap in God's face. Yeah. 
When we sin, it's a slap. We don't see it that way usually. As we've conditioned ourselves not to, not to feel out of place or whatever sometimes, but that's what it is. Dear friends, hate sin because it is drenched in bile and all that is undesirable. There is nothing commendable, humorous, cute, or good about sin. Sin at its core is odious. Something so vile it deserves severe hatred. A very strong word is odious. But our sin's appealing, isn't it? Sometimes it just seems like more fun instead of appalling. Because in the back of my mind, in the back of our minds, when this temptation comes and it looks so inviting, whatever that might be, we go ahead and do it because in the back of our minds, we know that our God is a gracious God. And we know that he will forgive anything we do because he promises that. So we go ahead and commit whatever that is. Holy Spirit convicts us. We feel guilty. He brings us back. But when we're out into that sin, whatever that is, we are creating consequences. And God will not take those consequences away. We are left to deal with those. It's like people that are on death row, if there is such a place anymore, or incarcerated, and they find Christ in prison. I had a guy tell me that one time over at the newsstand. He said, you want to meet Jesus, just go over to county jail. Jesus lives there. People's always saying, but I hope so. I hope he lives everywhere, which he does. But just because Christ comes into somebody's life that has committed some crime, God's not going to go to court for him and get him out of jail. He's, he's not, he's, it's just not the way it works. We have to live with those consequences, and I think sometimes we forget that. Sin to us as followers of Christ, I mention this a lot, it's like mud to a pig. Man, that pig is happy. He is in a great place. He, he's snoozing in the sun. He's covered with mud. It, it's, it's something that he loves. And, and that's sins like that to us, like mud to a pig. It, it just is. Man, I tell you what, you get to examine me, I might still have a little mud behind my ears this morning. So that, that's the point. It, it's like in Greek mythology, if you've ever heard the word siren, it's where we get the word siren, you know, the woo, 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 whatever. But in Greek mythology, these sirens were beautiful women on, the, on an island, and when these ships would come close, they would start to sing. And it was such a wonderful, it was such a wonderful sound that it, it would draw these sailors in, and they would come to their death as they crashed against the rocks. But that was the point of doing it, to call them in. And that's what sin is to us. It's a siren call. Satan is calling the sirens. It appeals to our old sinful nature. We come to Christ, we become new creatures, but we do not get rid of this monkey on our back, which we call the old nature. The nature you feed is the one that will guide and rule your life. And that's why we talk about the Bible. That's why we talk about prayer. That's why we talk about hanging out with other believers in, in, in groups and classes and trying to learn to do life together. Well, Paul says every morning, in a sense, this is my call on this, that we should visually and in our minds take that old nature and nail it to the cross and leave it there that day. And then after you nail your, your old nature, you, you uh, put on, that's going to cost somebody some money. So uh, anyhow, we got insurance here. 
Put on that armor of God. You, you put on, is it go through piece by piece that when you go out in life that you are ready to that, for that. Because if you don't, that old nature is going gonna, gonna to be there and you've got to deal with it. I want to pray this morning for you guys that instead of sin looking inviting that we hate so much, we see it as like touching a hot stove or getting shocked with about 6,000 volts of electricity. That's the way we should see it. And something to avoid at all costs as the Holy Spirit continually cries out, danger, danger, danger. That's, that's, That's the word. That's how the Holy Spirit works with us. But... Speaking under my own experience, sometimes we stick our fingers in our spiritual ears and we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and we get in bad. Followers of Christ have never got the luxury of saying, I didn't know any better. If you live in Christ, if the Holy Spirit is in your life, you know. You, you want, want to rationalize away, but, but you know. We look at Romans 7. Paul tries to bring this into perspective. Verse 10 of chapter 7 The very commandment that provided life proved to be death to me. Paul is probably referring to a well-known Old Testament passage, Leviticus 18.5. Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. The the commands were given to help people know how to live. But because of sin, those same commands brought only a heightened awareness of the inevitability of death. Because sin kills, and the law tells us this. So when we sin and we, 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 Paul would read the law and it would convict him, he, it, it brought death. He said in verse 11, sin deceived me. Sin deceives people by misusing the law. It is filled with false promises and deception. And see if these don't play well in, in your life as you have thought about the past, maybe the present. Sin promises to satisfy our desires even more than the last time. We once give in to that temptation, we dive into that thing, whatever it is that we're not supposed to be doing, and it feels good, so we do it, and then the next time it comes back up again, we're thinking about the experience the last time, and we want to go do it again. Sin promises that. Sin promises that our actions can be kept hidden so that nobody will know. Hey, it's going to be all right. You're hiding. It's under the cover of darkness. Well, God knows. And the Bible tells us our sin will eventually find us out. Sin promises that we won't have to worry about consequences. It's all right. Go ahead and do it. That's one of the biggest things Satan uses us, us as believers. Hey, God will forgive you. Go ahead. But he, he leaves out the consequence part. Sin promises special benefits, wisdom, and knowledge, and sophistication. It's what everybody's doing. It's all right to have premarital sex because everybody's doing it. doesn't matter. This is irrelevant these days. The word of God, there, some say there even is no God. So what, what's the big deal? We live in a world of relativism that everything goes. And how dare you, if you, using the word of God, tell me that I shouldn't do this because it's wrong. That's, that is, that's, that's pretty prevalent in our, in our world today. But you can't buy the lie. Sin promises power and prestige in exchange for cooperation and cooperation. The Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, the serpent tempted Eve by taking her focus off the freedom. You imagine how much freedom Adam and Eve had in the garden. I love animals, and I appreciate Paige bringing this beast to church. There's a beast under that table, so don't go around it because it's got great big teeth. But anyhow, I appreciate it. I like animals. She could pet 
Adam and Eve could pet all, everything, all the animals were in there. There wasn't, there wasn't any death or you didn't fear. You could hang out with lions and cheetahs and all that kind of stuff. It, that's hard for me to grasp, but they had that freedom. They could eat anything in the garden but one tree. And that is what Satan said to Eve, and we know that story, how he deceived her, and then Adam jumped on the bandwagon. But nonetheless, one restriction that God had given that's what she went for. At your job tomorrow, at your school, wherever you're at, if you do an outstanding, stellar job, it's the best performance you've ever had, whatever that might be. And whether it's a teacher, whether it's your boss, whether it's your coworkers, pat you on the back and say, you have done a fantastic job today. I've never seen anything like that. And on the way out, if one person says, well, I didn't think so. I thought you stunk. What are you going to go home with? It's not all those praises. That one negativity is going to stick in your crawl. I was at a conference one time, and this pastor was saying, I said, pastors, you preach that message, and you think you've done a good job because the Holy Spirit encourages you, and all the people around you tell you a good job, and on the way out, one of your parishioners brings this whole line of negativity against you. He says, you're not going to go home with them praises. You're going to go home with that negativity. And excuse my language, but he called it the golden turd. <laughs> that's what he said you keep in your pocket. You bring it out and look at it every once in a while. You think about that. Well, that's what Satan does with us. He, he blinds us to all the goodness and the blessings that God has put in our lives, and he makes you focus on this one thing that you're not supposed to do, and then sometimes we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and we go ahead and do it. When we are tempted to rebel, we need to look at the law from a wider perspective in the light of God's grace and mercy. We're all rebels in a sense. We've all strayed away. If we focus on his great love for us, we will understand that he only restricts, he only puts off limits the things that will destroy us, that will harm us, that will cause us and people we love great pain. That's, that's what he keeps us away from. And sometimes it makes us mad because we, we want to do those things. How did sin use the commandment as an opportunity? both to deceive and to kill. Perhaps Paul had thought of the commandment in general, the commandments in general to justify himself as righteous, in which case he was deceived. He was maybe thinking too highly of himself. But as he read the 10th commandment, he was caught suddenly by the truth in the law or of the law to which sin immediately added killing guilt, Exodus 20, 17, 10th commandment. Do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else your neighbor owns. Busted. He probably was guilty of this, and the Scripture convicted him. Verse 12 says the law is holy. Although it was the instrument used to kill him, so to speak, Paul could not speak against the law because the law of God is good. It's holy. It reflects the character and the will of God himself. This is God himself. It's his character. It's his will. Instead, the commandment defines sin, but it is not sin. Instead, it is holy and just and good, the rest of verse 12 says. And so the purpose of the law is to teach us right from wrong, to give us guidelines, 
and to show sin for what it is. The law helps us live for God, but it cannot save us. That is the point. The law cannot save you. If the law causes so much difficulty, what useful purpose does it serve? Number one, it is a revelation of the nature and character and will of God. Number two, its ethical components were incorporated in Christ's teaching. Christ used the law in his teaching. Three, it teaches us about sin. And four, it demolishes self-righteousness. Romans 3.23 says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. This is everybody. Chapter 7, verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? Paul asked the question. Taking the last word from the last verse, Paul asked, did the commandment, referring to his example of coveting and used as a picture for the law as a whole, which is good, result in death? Again, he answers his own question. By no means, he says. The law was given by God, and it tells us what God desires of us, and it is good. Sin's deception and then application of the commandment brought death. The last of that, verse 13, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. It is sin, not the law, that brings death. And it is only through the law that sin can be recognized as sin. It helps us understand what sin is. Sin uses the commandments in the law that are good in order to continue to produce death in people because people cannot keep the law in their own strength. It's impossible for us to keep the law. But by using the commandments as instruments of death, sin reveals itself in all of its ugliness. We should hate and despise sin because it opposes God's word. Second reason we should hate sin is because of its destructiveness. We understand from the Bible that the wages of sin is death. Think about this. Every single tombstone throughout the world is a trademark of sin. We take the people that we love and we bury them and we put markers up to honor them. But in all actuality, when that's boiled down, your loved one's not in that grave. The person that you love, their spirit, their soul, it's gone to be somewhere. So when we drive by a graveyard and we put flowers, it's it's, it's good to do that because you're honoring those memories. But as you look at those tombstones, those tombstones are there because of sin. It's a trademark of sin. Every minute, 105 people die. There's 151, 600,000 people per day and more than 55 million per year. Sin is destructive. But not only does it end life, it also makes life miserable. Every argument, every punch in the face, every stabbing, every shooting, all gossip, every raised voice in anger comes from sin and sin alone. That's where it all comes from. The tears of regret, guilt, shame, and fear come from sin. Sin destroys lives at a record pace. Take a look around our world and see its destructiveness. You, you, can't, you can't help but see that. That's all coming from sin. Don't simply hate the confined consequences of sin in your own life. Consider the cataclysmic ravages of depravity upon humankind. Hate all the consequences, but even more hate sin because it is everywhere. Third reason and motivation why we should hate sin is because Jesus bled for it. If these first two motivations did not convince you, I I pray that this last one does, will convince you to hate sin. Jesus bled for it. And as we see these pictures, you know what I see on Jesus' skin that's inflicted. That's Eddie's sin. I know it's yours too, but I take it personal. 
I don't see your sin up there. I see mine. How evil is sin that Christ must die to pay for it? How vile a thing is sin that it claimed the infinite beauty of Emmanuel, God with us. God says, I created this creation. I love these people. I will go hang out with them. Even though I know they're going to kill me. And that's, that's what happened. Do you not see the soot and the stench now with Christ hanging naked and clamoring for every breath? The bruised and battered Jesus was paying sin's tab for you and for me. The Trinity hymn. Trinity hymnal on page 192, you find these words. You who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man, son of God. So when you are tempted to sin, consider how Christ bled and died for that sin. Consider how he himself so hated sin and so loved you that he bore that awful load. The hymn goes on, who but Christ has dared to drain, steeped in gall the cup of pain, and with tender body bare thorns and nails and piercing spear. If we could come to grips with that people that I love, that when that temptation comes for us to do something that we shouldn't, we see pictures like this. Like I said, that's me. That, that's my fault. It's because of my sin. And then on that day I asked forgiveness, he, he wiped it clean. <laughs> he took care of it. Ripped off a new piece of paper. So let's start fresh. Let's start with this white sheet. When you are considering how to fight sin, consider your Savior fighting against sin. See him guzzle that eternal vat of divine wrath so that you could come to the Lord's table and drink the cup of blessing that there wouldn't be any blood involved today, that you wouldn't be beat, that you could sit at your table or in your seat and you could freely take communion, a sacrifice, and, and there's no repercussions because God has taken care of all that. We can do that in total peace. Consider Jesus shedding his blood for your sin and with your teary eye and white knuckle resolve, lean into the spirit and echo God's hatred of sin. The grace of Calvary will train your spiritual nostrils to see sin and supremely repulsive. There have been some evil people in this world and there are some still alive. So when I see his pierced feet, I don't, I don't think about, man, that, that's, that's Hitler's sin, or Mussolini's, or Pol Pot, or Ceausescu in Romania who's a maniac. Saddam Hussein, and I can name name after name after name when I think about great evil people. But in God's eyes, if we don't know him, we're the same as them. That's crazy, crazy thought, isn't it? But it is what it is. God sees his people, and he sees people that's not his. That's his view. Regardless, it, it is what it is. So, you know, I said this this morning that I, that I beg you, to consider your relationship to Christ this morning. If you don't know him, it's the best thing ever happened to you. We, we invite you. We invite you to accept Christ in your seat and come right down here and there'll be people to pray and pray with you and show you how. 
before we take communion this morning, I want to show you one more clip. It made sense to me. It's called White Paper Redemption. Let's watch. Sometimes I look at my life, at my mistakes, at my faults, and I see regret. My life full of choices has led me far from where I wanted to be. My life full of chances is left with defeat. Sometimes it just seems so dark in here. I see what used to be a clean white piece of paper stained with my sins and failures. I see the joy of living, oppressed by my past directions, decisions, and defeats. I see this life that was designed to be clean and white, destroyed by the permanent marks I've made on my life. when I read the Bible, I remember that even though I have sinned, even though I have made permanent marks on my life, there is hope. There is the cross. There is the eternal life that is promised to me by the death of my Savior. I remember that Jesus bled for my sins, for my marks, and continually wipes them away. I remember that even with my past, I can have a new start. With Him, His glory, His strength wipes away my faults and weaknesses. His ultimate sacrifice has led to my ultimate salvation. On that cross, Jesus took my place, my scarred, marked paper my sinful, messed up life and gave me a new one. We confess and repent. <laughs> he takes that sheet and you start over with a fresh one. I got a stack of pages like this in my life. Regrets, call it what you will. But it was because of sin. All the problems I've had and the things that I've faced in life, it was, it was because of sin. And then one day I wised up and came to Christ and I started into this adventure, which is the most difficult thing that you and I will do on this earth if we do it right, but it's the most glorious and most blessed. So think about that this morning and we get ready to take this communion, this Holy Supper, this sacrament that I want us all to be clean before God. If there's sin in your life and the Holy Spirit's convicted you, take care of that now. You can do that right where you sit. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know there's sin in my life, Holy Spirit. You've pointed it out. I confess it now with all my heart. And I repent, meaning I, I want to change. 
Thank you for doing this, God, for we ask it in Christ's name. That, that's, that's a prayer of confession and repentance, and you all can do that. We have an altar up here, and it's open. It's open for you to come pray. If you need to know how to accept Christ, we will gladly do that. Or as God deals with your heart, he can deal with you right where you're set. But as Pastor Jeff says, put that on your card. We, we want to know because we want to pray for you. We want to help you. So we take this today, and I can pick this bread and this cup up, and I don't have to worry about any repercussions that something's body's going to inflict pain on this body. I can do this in total peace. And I hope that you can say that this morning. Lord, thank you for your body. It's broken and bruised for us. May it not become old hat. May it not become just a habit. But every time we take this in commemoration for you, that it means something, that we do it in great gratitude, in, in, in such a manner that there are no words to describe it. But as you see what's coming, emanating from our hearts and our minds, it's total love and gratitude to you. We give you praise and glory for who you are, God. Thank you for loving us, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Matthew 26, 27, and 28. The Lord said, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Lord, I'd say to most of us this morning, don't like the sight of blood. It's not something we really enjoy seeing. But it is the life of humankind and of animals. It flows through our bodies and takes care of a lot of different issues. And Lord, when the priest would gather on the Day of Atonement and slit those animals' throats, and he would sprinkle that blood upon that altar and that would take care of the sacrifice, life for a life. And now you did that for us, a life for a life. Your blood flowed down that beam of wood and was soaked up in that dusty Israeli dirt. But the symbolism behind that was it covers my sin. And I, I am totally grateful, Lord, and I thank you for that. So, Father, thank you for the blood. Thank you for its power, and may we use that power in our lives daily. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.